0: You're listening to Atheistically Speaking. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode twenty-seven of Atheistically Speaking. I'm your host, Thomas Smith, and do I have a great another great week in store for you guys? First off, I have Greta Christina, who I'm very happy to uh, have on the show. She has a new book out about coming out as an atheist, and I think this is, of course, she's you know she wants to promote her book. I'm happy to have her on talk about her book and promote it. But at the same time, this is a very important issue. Um, Because I have tons of people who have commented and sent messages about how they're sort of still undercover, they're not able to come out. And I think her book is uh, very valuable for that and for even people who are out already to sort of remember uh, what others might be going through. Having said this, though, I didn't want to simply limit the conversation to her book because I don't want this. As I've said, I don't want this to just turn into a show where people come on and promote their uh, latest thing, as uh, as a disparaging commenter has, has alleged that it has turned into, even though I don't think it's done any such thing. Anyway. Uh, I also, the second episode, the first episode is likely going to be uh, mostly how it's divided out, is mostly talk about her book and about other things, uh, relationships with believers, lots of things. I don't just, uh, we're, we're not here strictly to talk about the book. And then in the second episode, we talked about feminism and atheism, and it was incredibly insightful, had nothing to do with her current book, and had everything to do with genuine questions that I have about... Um, sort of women in atheism and uh and she she really painted a picture for me and and really helped me understand it and i 'm looking forward to everyone hearing that and getting everyone 's reaction from it so it 's her interview was great i'm i 'm really happy with it and i 'm excited for you guys to hear it but first, of course, we have some commentary. Several times over the course of this show, the issue of disliking a religion versus disliking the members of that religion has come up. For example, someone will say, I may hate Islam, but I don't hate Muslims. And for the sake of this commentary, feel free to replace hate with whatever verb you feel is right. I understand a lot of people don't really hate anyone. I I, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm, I'm unsure if I really hate anyone because I don't fully subscribe to the idea of free will. But I think there's a, um, there's an everyday use for the word hate or dislike that, that we have. I mean, there's people that we dislike, even though deep down I think we know that nothing is really anyone's fault. I mean, it's a product of their upbringing or their genetics or circumstances, whatever it is. So forget about that cloudiness that philosophy brings into this. And, and for the sake of this commentary, uh, let's just talk about people we dislike. And every time this comes up, the idea of, hating religion but not the the people, I can't help but feel like it's just a little dishonest. I don't know. I've compared it to hating the sin and not the sinner. We never buy that when religious people say that, do we? So why do we expect people to believe it of us? I'll also point out that if someone says they hate homosexuality but not homosexuals, the advice from sensible people is never, oh, well, that's cool as long as you don't really hate gay people. Like that—that's never the advice. Well, the advice is, hey, uh, it's absurd to have a problem with homosexuality. Re- you really, you really need to get over that. There's no good reason to have an issue with it. But we can't really apply that same advice to ourselves. I don't think. I don't think the proper advice for atheists is to just stop disliking religion. I, for one, detest just about everything about the tenets of, say, Islam, and in the exact same way, I detest just about every aspect of Christianity, except for a couple nice Jesus-loves-everyone themes. Those are fine. Uh, but if you look at the book, I mean, there's plenty to hate in there. And it feels so phony to me to just say, yeah, I think your religion is crap, and I, yes, I think if you follow what it actually teaches, then you'd be an absolutely horrendous person, but I don't hate you. Or I think your beliefs in the supernatural around which you orient your entire life Uh, are are a complete lie and cause harm to our world. But that doesn't mean I dislike you. Does that ever feel dishonest to anyone else? Now, of course, the other side of this is that if we walked around saying, I hate Christians or I hate all Muslims, of course, it would harm our message and it would make us look like hateful people. I get that. I'm not saying we should do that. But why do we have to go so far the other way? Why do we feel as though we need to constantly clarify that we're talking about hating religion and not the believers? Because really, Don't we dislike Christians who believe gay people are second-class citizens? I do. They drive me crazy. Don't we dislike Muslims who believe apostates should be killed, which is an alarmingly high percentage of Muslims, or who think women ought not to learn to read? Do we really have to step back and say, no, I don't hate the people. I hate what they believe. There's a certain point to me at which it becomes the same thing. If someone told me they hate everything I believe and that I'm causing great harm to the world... I guess I just wouldn't really care enough to ask, but you don't hate me, right? You think, like, I'm cool to hang out with. Like, you, you like me, right, as a person. I guess I, if I'm trying to think about it the other way, at that point, I just wouldn't really value their opinion. I mean, I, I would assume, yeah, they probably dislike me and I'm fine with that because I fundamentally disagree with their entire way of looking at the world. So I'm guessing fundamentalists simply don't value our opinion of them in this way. We probably do. I'll take a step back here, though, and say we probably do have to make such protestations because we just don't want to lump in all Christians and all Muslims with those who are fundamentalists, or at least who actually believe in the toxic hate of their holy books. It's sad that we have to constantly make this clear, but maybe we do. And we should always err on the side of not wanting to look like xenophobic other haters. Uh, But because I'm someone who has a hard time being dishonest, I really do, I guess I just want to make clear that I do dislike people who believe anyone deserves eternal torment in hell. To me, that's about as evil a thought as a person could even have. I do dislike people who would ever encourage or condone or perpetuate violence against anyone on the basis of their sexuality or their religion or their non-belief. I do dislike people who think that all scientists, all biologists are so dumb that they never thought to ask, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys, then why are there still monkeys? Oh, sh- our entire field of study down the drain because no one thought of that question. <laughs> like they wouldn't have thought of it if it undermined all of evolution. I'm sure plenty of these people I just mentioned have redeeming qualities or they might be fun to hang out with or have dinner with or something. I don't really care. There are plenty of cool people to hang out with who don't have such idiotic, harmful beliefs. So to anyone out there who cares, and I can't imagine who in the world that would be, as long as your religious beliefs don't fall in these extremes that I've just briefly outlined earlier, I'm probably cool with you. I probably don't hate you. And that's fine. I'll say that. I don't. If they do, though, I don't just hate your beliefs. I'm not going to separate your beliefs. I dislike you, because I think on the aggregate, despite some nice qualities you might have, the, the beliefs you have are causing more harm than a congenial personality might make up for. Plus, I bet if I met you, I wouldn't exactly be enraptured by your personality either, but that's just speculation. So let's move now to our interview with Greta Christina. And don't forget, though part one will end short, and we'll leave you wanting more. You can always already access part two in the bonus content if you sign up for patreon.com slash atheist, sign up as a contributor, and you can already hear Thursday's episode in the end of this interview, plus some bonus segments. So make sure to do that if you want to hear that content. And thanks to all who have. All right, here's that interview. <music> All right. With me now is Greta Christina. How are you doing on this fine evening? I'm doing really well.
1: Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so much for coming. Now, your new book, it's called Coming Out Atheist, How to Do It, How to Help Each Other, and Why. It was released last week, and uh, I, I picked it up right away, and I, I've i gotten in the in the uh, short time I've had, my listeners will know I've been really plugging away on this podcast <laughs> lately, but I've gotten to, my Kindle tells me I'm 30% through, so pretty pretty <laughs> respectable in less than a week, right?
1: That's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because some people like race race through the book, and you know, some people are more like savoring it and reading mm. it in bits and pieces. But
0: so, uh, yeah, so you were kind enough to come and join us and talk about it, and thank you very much for that. And so, would you mind sort of walking us through just the high level kind of basics and maybe what impact you're hoping it it will have on the community?
1: Sure, absolutely. So the book is titled "Coming Out Atheist." how to do it, how to help each other and why. And that's pretty much exactly what the book is about. It's about coming out as an atheist. You know, And by that, I don't mean becoming an atheist, but I mean telling the people in your life, telling your friends, telling your family, telling the people you work with, telling strangers you run into at the airport <laughs> uh, that you're a non-believer, and then sort of how to manage your life Once you've done that and how to manage your relationships with people and, you know, the possible responses people might get, you know, that that you might get and, you know, what you might expect right after you've come out to people, what you might expect after a little while and so on. So it's, so it's, it's sort of a, you know, breaking down. Here's some suggestions on how to do it, how to come out there's also a lot of uh, there's an entire section in fact on how to help one another come out you know because we're a community and you know we're not we're not isolated and because coming out is so important it's so powerful for us we want to be able to help each other do it and so there's a whole section on that and so for people who are already pretty much out as atheists i think the book is still valuable uh if for no other reason that it has that section on how to help people. And then there's a section on why, why coming out is important. You know, there's a lot of atheists who are like, I don't know why this matters. You know, what why can't I just not rock the boat and so on. And so there's a whole section on why coming out does matter, why it helps our lives, and also kind of helping people decide whether this is a good idea for them. Because, you know, coming out can be difficult. Uh, it's For most people, it, it's a pretty valuable thing. In fact, I, I researched when I was researching the book, I read over 400 coming out stories from atheists. And literally of those over 400 stories, literally just one person say, said that they regretted having done it. Mm, mm. Uh, now, there were a number of people who regretted the way they did it. They said, oh, I wish I hadn't been so harsh about it. I I wish I had been a little more careful. I wish I had chosen my timing better. I wish I hadn't done it on Christmas Eve, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I wish I hadn't accidentally hit reply all when I just meant to hit reply, you know, and you know, <laughs> accidentally told a whole bunch of people that I didn't mean to tell. Um, but most people do say that now that they're out, their lives are better. You know, they're happier, they feel more relaxed, they feel more comfortable, they feel like they're Relationships with people are are honest and they have a real connection with them and they're not they're not hiding. And so most people say that coming out does make their lives better, but there can be difficulties. You know, it can cause trauma, it can cause upset, it can cause practical problems. People say they've run into problems with work or even lost their jobs, had difficulty getting hired. Uh people, you know, get kicked out of their house, that kind of thing, you know, lose custody of their kids. And so because there can be difficulties, it's worth knowing ahead of time. What are some of the difficulties? You know, what, what can you expect to happen? And, and I'm not doing this. I didn't write this book as like a very specific set of directions. It's not like, you know, if A, then B, right, if C, right. then D, you know, it's, it's not like the Google Maps where you say, you know, first turn left on Main Street and then turn right on first. It's, it's not like that because coming out is so, different for different people and that's different because of different circumstances because of different cultures or subcultures that people are in Different, And also just different personalities. The experiences are really different. And so instead of saying here is the exact right way to come out for everybody, it's much more about here are some ways that you come out. Here are some things that other people have said have worked for them. Here are some things other people said didn't work for them as well. You know, here are some of the situations that you can expect and some ways that you might choose to navigate that.
0: Yeah, and and you do make it very clear that it's possible that it's you shouldn't come out. I mean, not everybody. Hopefully, those the, that situation is in a minority, but it's possible that it's not appropriate for everyone to come out if there's going to be the the consequences that are just going to be too serious. You know, maybe it's it's not for you, but what it does do is it gives you so many your book gives you so many uh, or or gives uh, us uh, us readers so many different examples and and what has happened and what can happen. How they have people have gone about it? That it, it'll really help you determine um, whether you think the the benefit is going to be worth it or not. It helps you make that decision. It informs you more, and uh, I, I say that because I actually know at least two or three listeners I've heard from, um, and I, I was thinking of later on maybe maybe reading you a comment I got from one specific listener uh, who, who have said they, they can't come out, you know, they're, they're in a position where they just can't do it. And, uh, I just wanted to make clear and you did already, but I want to make clear, uh, uh, yeah, this it's, it's possibly not for everyone. And you go into that very, uh, uh, fairly, I think so.
1: Yeah, well, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, cause I do think that it's when we're encouraging each other to come out and I do think we should do that because it does seem to make most people's lives better. But I think it's important when we're doing that, that we not be guilt-tripping or pressuring, you know, or saying, oh, you're a coward if you're not out, or, you know, it's like having like a, some sort of hierarchy where atheists who are more out are somehow better or braver or something like that. That's just not the reality. The reality is that it is more difficult for some people. And, you know, if you're going to maybe lose your job, if you come out as an atheist, Uh, if you're a student and you think that your parents might cut off your tuition, if you come out to them as an atheist, you know, those are serious considerations to take into account. And, you know, I don't want anybody to lose their job or have their life be ruined because of coming out the whole point is it's supposed to make your life better. And no, I do think it's always worth taking into account, you know, there's a cost benefit analysis and the risk of staying in the closet. That's also not risk free. And that's something that I talk about in the book. I mean, for one thing, if you are more in the closet and you've only told a handful of people, there's always a chance that you might accidentally get outed, you know, either either intentionally because somebody's being malicious or they're concerned about your non-existent soul or whatever, or just accidentally, you know, somebody just hits the wrong key on Facebook and they accidentally out you to their whole list or, you know, they didn't realize that you weren't out and so they told people. Uh, and so- I've heard stories of people accidentally outing themselves. Again, they hit the wrong button on their keyboard and they told people they didn't mean to tell. So that is something to consider if you have decided right now is not the right time for me to to come out. Do remember that staying in the closet also has risks. And of course, just being in the closet It's stressful. It's hard on us. It takes an emotional toll. It takes a psychological toll. And that's not trivial. Mm -hmm. So it's important to do that cost-benefit analysis. But absolutely, everybody gets to make that decision for themselves. They get to decide for themselves, is this the right time? And I think one of the things that the book helps people with is to talk about if you're thinking of coming out, if you're not ready to do it yet, but you're thinking that this is something you would like to do at some point, you want to start telling people – here are some of the things you can start to do to prepare. You know, it's like if you're concerned that coming out at work might get you into trouble, well, start putting your, getting your resume in order and start putting out feelers for another job. Uh, get a couple of months' salary in your savings if you can. Uh, if you're concerned that coming out as an atheist might completely alienate you from your family and your community, start by making contact with atheist communities and put down some roots in them. So if you do lose people in your life, when you come out, you'll have some place to go. So I think that that's a very important lesson in coming out is think about the kinds of things that you think might happen. And this book is full of stories of, you know, here are some of the kinds of things that might happen. And, and as much as possible, be prepared for that.
0: Yeah. You mentioned before, um, and I wanted to say something that related to this. Uh, it's not just valuable for people who are about to come out. You mentioned this. And, and I, for one, since I, I didn't really ever have to come out because half uh, the males in my family, for some reason, all the males are atheists and all the females are devoutly religious. It's very <laughs> very interesting. Uh, but I never really had to come out. Uh, but reading the book, It was, it was so interesting to sort of remember like, oh yeah, this, I mean, (laughs) this is a real concern. Uh, it's, it, there, everybody has a different upbringing. Some people doesn't matter at all, of course. And other people, it's a huge deal. And it's, it was an interesting reminder. It was, and it was a chance to sort of get in the minds of, of, uh, and experiences of some people who are, you know, they, they had it a lot harder than I did. Um, and, and it was, ah, it's interesting to hear. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, the title and and a lot of the content gives some level of endorsement to the idea of a parallel, uh, you know, the obvious parallel between being LGBT and and being atheist. And I'm I'm wondering, have you have you gotten any backlash for that? Maybe from members of the LGBT community or anything like that for the comparison you make.
1: You know, it's funny. I haven't gotten a lot of backlash, although I've gotten a lot of people asking me that question. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of people, I've gotten backlash in the form of people asking, is this a concern? Now, I do think that there are some LGBT people who don't like atheists using the the term coming out. You know, they feel like it's appropriating the language. It's like, we made up this language, you don't get to use it. And And I see that concern. But ultimately, you know and i'm bisexual myself I, i'm married to a woman i've been in the lgbtq community for gosh decades now and you know i get it but at the same time we don't own that language that cat is out of the bag <laughs> the phrase coming out has just become part of the language people use it to describe all kinds of experiences where we tell people something about ourselves that they don't know and that we think might be concerned to them you know people talk about uh coming out as polyamorous talk about as coming out as kinky people talk about as talk about coming out with unpopular political views or 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 so on you know it's, you know people talk about coming out as you know cubs fans or whatever and that's kind of how language works you know it's like there is you know subcultures have their own language but then as subcultures begin to become more part of mainstream society language also becomes part of mainstream society and language develops organically in that way. And, you know, there's not really a way that we can control that. So it's not like atheists were the first ones to start using this language. This language has has been out there for some time.
0: And as a matter of practicality, I mean, it's, it's a pretty basic phrase. <laughs> it's hard to find that uh, eloquent and, uh, br- you know, brief a uh, description for what it is. You know, there's a certain... <laughs> practicality of just, well, I'm not sure what else we would call it, to be honest. (laughs) We'd have to get some creative minds just to have a phrase for something really basic.
1: Exactly. I mean, it is, I think one of the reasons why it has taken on, taken hold and take, you know, sort of caught fire and so many different people have started using it is it's a very vivid image (laughs) and it's very evocative and it's very much, that's what it is. You know, you're, you know, hidden in a, in a dark you know, enclosed space where nobody can see you. And then you open that door and come out into a larger world where you're visible. And with all of the implications, both of the, you know, the vulnerability and, you know, the the defenselessness and the, you know, the, the anxiety that that can come with, but also with all of the associations of, you know, liberation and being able to connect openly and honestly with a larger world.
0: Yeah, you know. Uh, so you said you you didn't get much backlash. I did see uh, Chris Stedman uh, had had tweeted something about it that seemed like he wanted to distance himself from that sort of comparison a little bit. I don't know. Did, did you get that impression? I, I, I saw. I follow you both, so I, <laughs> I saw you replied to him. I mean, uh, I mean,
1: I didn't see that. I didn't see that particular thing. Uh, what I will say is that, and I certainly think it's worth pointing out. That there are important differences between yes. coming out as an atheist and coming out as LGBTQ. And I talk about that in the book. And I think most atheists are aware of that. There are, there are certainly important differences. You know, in the same way every other group that calls talks about coming out, there are yeah. important yeah. differences. There's differences between coming out as polyamorous, coming out as kinky, coming out as, as a geek, coming out, you know, with unpopular political opinions. You know, there's important differences. And, and I think that those are worth addressing. But that doesn't mean that there aren't parallels. And, you know, so I yeah. haven't seen particular writing by by Stedman, so I can't really reply to it. But
0: sure, um, I think he just. Uh, I, sorry, I thought I thought I saw that you replied to the tweet, so maybe uh, maybe I was getting cross paths or cross streams of Twitter or something. But uh, uh, so never mind. But uh, yes, I I think that it's important. Um, you know, I'm I'm a member of only one of the groups we're talking about, so of course I I, I would yield to anyone else's experience, but as an atheist. I do see similarities, and and I think that it's important to note that you know I can I want to point out those similarities without trying to hijack you know everything about it without trying to to sort of one up. There's no sense of one-upsmanship, and and if there are people who are who are doing that, then you know I I would I would definitely recommend not trying to one up who has the harder experience. It's just not. It's just not productive, I don't think. But I think it's important to be able to point out the similarities without without that. Um, and uh, I would say at least on one axis, perhaps, and I, I wonder if you'd agree, the level of sort of mistrust and exclusion that I felt and experienced for being an atheist has been pretty significant. I mean, uh, it, it, my my old job, I worked for a very Catholic kind of family-owned business, and uh I'm just about positive that my coming out atheist, um, I, I didn't exactly come out, I, you know, it just sort of slipped out. Um, they were sort of under the, the impression that I was Catholic just because they, I think they knew like a family member of mine. And like I said, the females in my family are all Catholic. They, so they sort of assumed. <laughs> and at, ever since I had a very close relationship with, with my boss and, and uh, he was the CEO of the company. Um, and ever, ever after that, it was, it, it just wasn't the same. You know, I just wasn't really in the club, you know, and uh, I ended up have, leaving that job, not for that reason, but it was part of it. I mean, I was on a, a good upward trajectory. And then it, it I, you know, who knows, maybe it's something else, but it just ever since after that part, you know, ever after that time, it, it was, uh, I, I sort of flatlined in my job. And it was, it it sort of, it couldn't help but feel like that was a, that was a big part of it. But
1: yeah, well, and you're not the only one and it's sort of one of those things where anti-atheist job discrimination is illegal. But it's often hard to prove. Right. You know what it happens it's, it's often very hard to prove. And so, you know, your, your your situation is certainly very far from the only one. So in terms of parallels and similarities and differences between LGBT experiences, and I agree with you, I think it's not a great idea to play what gets called the Oppression Olympics. And, and I have seen some atheists do that. I have seen some atheists yeah, yeah. talk about all the ways that we are oppressed or discriminated against or marginalized more than other people, which there are some ways you know there 's the whole thing about how all the polls that say we 're less trusted than other groups, the polls that say that people will would be less likely to vote for us than any other group that kind of thing and that 's a reality uh, but then you have to take the flip side of that, which is that we 're not targeted with the same level of physical violence that for instance LGBT yes, for people course, are course. Uh, you know there 's some of that, but it 's not nearly as endemic as it is you know we 're not targeted with the same uh, you know, we have legal protection that LGBT people don't have. We were just saying it's actually illegal to discriminate against people in the workplace on the basis of their atheism, even though it happens anyway. Well, in a lot of states in this country, it is completely legal to discriminate against people based on their oh, wow. sexual orientation oh, wow. or gender identity. I suppose uh, being completely- in
0: California, I've, I've been kind of spoiled. I didn't, even, <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought that was federal, but I guess not. Nope.
1: That is not federal. We're trying to get it, and we're trying to get uh, federal laws passed to to change that. But right now, that that hasn't happened, and so so there are some important differences. And I do think it's important for atheists, you know, to, to to bear that in mind when when we're talking about our own experiences to not have it be, oh, you don't understand how hard we have it. To just say, you know, look, we're we're all marginalized in different ways. There's ways where we have it better. There's ways we have it worse. And that's kind of true across the board.
0: Mm. One difference I, I was thinking of, um, and I'd be curious to hear your opinion on this. I I, I think it may be a, a huge, that maybe the biggest difference between the two could be in growing up and sort of in high school. Because it's not often, I mean, of course it happens, but it's not often that there's a a huge stigma around being an atheist among high school. There's not there's not a whole lot of atheist bullying as much as there is, at least in my experience, and I'd be curious if you think I'm off on this, uh for LGBT individuals. Um and, and I, I I was thinking about that and I wonder if maybe maybe it's a, a almost a numbers game of like so many people are in our society are are raised religious that they sort of don't uncover their atheism until maybe later in LGBT, that was just a thought. I don't know if it, if that ends up being true, but I, w- I wonder what you think about that.
1: Well, I certainly I certainly agree with you about the the basic conclusion, uh, which is that there is not as much anti atheist bullying and violence in schools as there is anti LGBTQ violence and bullying. At least, not that I know of. It's possible that it's out there, that it's happening, that it's just not being reported. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm pretty cued in with the student movement. And as far as I know, it's not this huge endemic problem the way it is with LGBTQ kids. As for the reason why, I'm not sure why that is. And it's something that I've pondered, and I don't know what the reasons are. Uh, It's possible that when people come out as, as LGBTQ it makes people question their own sexuality and their own gender identity in a way that's very uncomfortable in a way that's very personal and that they can't deal with. Uh, and you know, when atheists come out, I mean, it makes people question their religion, but not in quite as personal or intimate a way uh, as, you know, questioning your own gender or sexual identity. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one possibility. Uh, it's also, I think possible that there's just more young atheists You know, it's, you know, rates of religious non-belief are skyrocketing among young people in this country. I mean, I've seen polls showing that among people, you know, 25 and under, you know, it's up to 20 or even 30 percent. Now, not all those people are out, obviously. But I'm wondering if it's how much of it is just that, that there's just more of us than there Mm. are LGBTQ people. But I don't really know the reasons behind that. I do think there's less bullying uh, of atheist students but I'm not really sure why.
0: Yeah, I don't it's, know. Just just to venture another quick guess, and then we'll move on. I wonder if it's because sexuality is so much a, a more visceral thing um, that that stretching that to violence is is a lot easier than than maybe religion and atheism, which is a more which is a more cerebral part of you. But who knows?
1: Possibly. Uh, for a lot of people, religion is very important and very personal and yeah. very emotional. So so I'm I'm not really sure.
0: Hmm. Hey everyone, I think you've been tuning out my normal plugs. And I say that because when I ask you guys to follow me on Twitter, (laughs) even though I ask you, you know, uh, Lydia asks you every show, uh, I got a ton of followers. So that's both good and bad. I want to say thanks, but it's also a little suspicious that for some reason all of a sudden I got a a bazillion followers. But keep it up, and I still need more. I always need more, but I certainly look more respectable now. And I want to say thank you to everyone who followed me. And I want to say, get on the Facebook, facebook.com slash atheisticallyspeaking, and please leave comments on the Facebook, on the site, atheisticallyspeaking.com. And finally, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash atheist. That's all I want to say. So thanks. Please do those things. And on with the rest of the show. Sometimes you mentioned uh, one of the stories, or it could have been a few. There's there are so many stories peppered in into the book, and I, I really like hearing all the different ones. Um, one point you made was how often the the scales are sort of tipped quite a bit toward the religious in terms of family relationships, um, and it can get to be unfair. And there's an interesting dynamic of of, of needing to sort of stand up for yourself, but it's it's. The way our society is, it's very difficult to be 50-50. And uh, in in a recent episode, I actually talked about um, Easter um, because, uh, as I'm mentioning now for a third time, with a half of my religious family, they don't – they aren't trying to convert me all the time, me and my brother, uh, who are the two atheists and – but it is – isn't it curious that every single family gathering – you know, has some sort of religious underpinning, you know, it's all, all the holidays are, (laughs) it's all in some way tied back to religion. There's, it's not like they have to come over for the uh, Darwin day picnic or anything like that. It's (laughs) all seems to be, you know, conveniently for them. It's always, Oh, well, this won't be uh, explicitly religious, but you know, it's always in the backdrop. Whereas, you know, it's hard to maintain that fairness.
1: Yeah. Well, that's certainly um, so for people who are not familiar with the book, uh, one of the ways that the book is broken down is into who you're coming out to. You know, there's a chapter on coming out to family, coming out to friends, coming out at the workplace. And then there's also chapters on coming out if you're in a particular situation or set of circumstances, coming out if you're a parent, coming out if you're a student, coming out if you're in a cons- community, a religious community, if you're in the military, if you're you a member of another marginalized group, you know, like women or LGBT people or people of color and so on. Um, so this issue that you're talking about especially comes up with family. And in fact, the family chapter is by far the longest chapter in the mm-hmm. book. You know, it's, it's most of the stories that people told, you know, when I was putting out the call for coming out atheist stories, overwhelmingly people wanted to talk about their families you know, much more than any other situation. And the situation you're talking about, about fairness, about how atheists are expected to sort of go along with religion. You know, we're expected to to keep going to church, to keep coming home for Christmas and Easter, to, uh, to, to keep quiet about our atheism, even if our, the believers in our family don't have to keep quiet about religion. And it's one of the things that I talk about in the book is how it's reasonable to expect some degree of fairness and it's reasonable to ask for some degree of fairness and that doesn't mean you know you should never go to church ever you know there's some atheists who are completely uncomfortable going to church or religious ceremonies and there's some atheists who are fine doing that because it's like it makes a family happy it, you know whatever but what i do think is valuable is to expect some degree of fairness you know if your family's asking you to go to church say fine Will you go with me to my humanist meeting, to my atheist meetup? <laughs> you know, if they are saying if when you come out as an atheist, they say, "Oh, you haven't thought about this enough. Why don't you read the Bible or read C.S. Lewis or read whatever religious text is that they want you to read?"
0: Dinesh D'Souza.
1: Dinesh Oh. <laughs> I think that that's a that's a limit. That's yeah. A limit.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's only so far we can go in the in terms of fairness.
1: Right, exactly. So, you can either say I don't want to read that, or you—you know—it's like I've look, I've read all the writings about religion that I need to. I, you know, I get to draw a line somewhere. Or I think you can say that's fine fine, I'll do your reading. But would you read one of my books? You know, would you read Why You Atheist So Angry? Would you read The God Delusion? Would you read The Humanist Bible? You know, would you, you know, read these other texts? And so I do think, you know, you don't absolutely have to have an absolute 100% perfectly balanced quid pro quo. But I do think that if we don't keep some kind of an eye on that fairness, then we're playing into religious privilege. We're playing into the idea that atheism is lesser. That athe, you know, we're feeding that idea. That you know, we're feeding the atheist stigma that we're trying to combat by coming out. Uh, you know, we're feeding the idea that atheism should be second class. and And I think that we mostly don't want to do that. And you know, you might not want to do that right away, right after you come out, if you want to be more conciliatory while the people in your life are getting used to it. That totally makes sense. But I do think that just for our own peace of mind, just for our own, for our own peace of mind, and also just to have really equal, honest relationships with the people we care about, that asking for some degree of fairness does seem to help.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's a, that was an excellent point. Um, and I I, I I hope people do that. I think we do need to stand up to for ourselves, you know, to that extent. Um, I'm curious. And, 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 uh, like I said, I'm exactly 30% through. So I apologize if this is later in the book at some point, but I'm just curious. I know with me, I, I didn't exactly have to come out as atheist. I sort of did, but I, I pretty much just when I was about 10, 11, I think I just said I didn't want to go to church anymore. And my, you know, I, <laughs> who knows if then it was more I just did not want to be so bored, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I definitely didn't value it at all. But what, I would say the number one thing in terms of coming out, and it's not atheism, but it is really related. Was I had a much harder time in my family as coming out as not Republican, <laughs> and that was <laughs> man. I, I still, in some ways, am not quite fully out because of how it's almost my family's religion, really, um, and it, it's tough. I uh, I sort of have to. I find myself um, trying to find points of commonality just to emphasize, you know, maybe finding, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll mention something that Obama did that, you know, I didn't quite agree with. And, and maybe I'll mention that. And that you know, that can be kind of a a point of commonality for my family, you know, because you you start to run out of things to even have in common once, you know, religion's out, you know, politics is out. And I I just sort of, it, it always leaves me a little, a bad taste in my mouth of like, mm, maybe I'm giving them the impression that I'm <laughs> something I'm not. So I'm curious if in any of the stories, there was also the added part of coming out as different politics than, than, uh, than their parents, because that's so tied together with religion oftentimes.
1: Well, that's more of what it's like. I mean, people didn't talk about that exact situation, but there certainly were a lot of stories in the book where, you know, people talk about, it's a, it's a somewhat similar situation in that you know it's like my parents are all obsessed with Fox News and that's all they yeah. ever watch and that's where they're getting their information from that's where they're getting their information about atheists from and where they're getting their information about religion from and so having it be difficult to connect with them on, on that level and also it's like it's hard to come out as an atheist if people have these ridiculous skewed ideas about atheism that they're getting from Fox News and certainly the situation of religion being tied into lots of other aspects of our lives, you know, because it does penetrate every aspect of our lives and it can make, you know, differences about religion aren't just about religion. You know, they affect things like, you know, what kind of wedding are you going to have? You know, what, what happens at people's funerals? What happens when people get sick? You know, what happens in political discussions and so on you know just how we live our lives on a daily basis and so certainly that is the kind of situation that could come up is that you know when depending on how much you're willing to be conciliatory or not with your family but even if you're completely conciliatory even if they just them knowing that you're an atheist sitting there in church thinking wow this is all bullshit i don't think believe any of this that's you know or going to the wedding going to your cousin's wedding and they ever it's a big religious wedding and everybody knows that you're the you know black sheep of the family who's not who doesn't even if you're not saying anything about it uh, who's not going along with it you know so certainly that can be an issue one of the things that really struck me though and this is one of the things that surprised me when i was doing research for the book is how often it actually turns out well And that was that hugely surprised me. When I went into the research for this book, I was expecting story after story after story of people not speaking to their families anymore, people who completely lost their jobs, got kicked out of their homes. They're totally alienated. You know, nobody's there from their communities and so on. And I did hear some of those stories. But overwhelmingly, the stories mostly turned out well. And often they turned out well a lot sooner than people expected. You know, sometimes it was like, okay, well, I came out to my family, and it was huge, screaming fights, and tears, and recriminations, and guilt tripping. But you know, years later, we're finally okay. But also, sometimes it's like, yeah, it was kind of a difficult conversation, and we had some tough times at first. But you know, it's a few months later now, and and we're fine. Like, you know, we really love you. In fact, our relationship is better than ever because I don't feel like I'm having to hide all the time. And a lot of the time, people went into these conversations expecting a huge thunderstorm, and it was nothing. It was fine. You know, they came out to their mom, and their mom said, Okay, fine. Why did you think that would be an issue? And so I think that that's something to remember is that we often go into these coming out conversations, you know, with family, with friends, with coworkers, and so on. Expecting it to be a huge conflict. And often it's not. And often, even if there is conflict, it it eventually turns out okay. And often, and this is one of the things that's really interesting about the book. And again, this somewhat didn't surprise me hugely because I'd been hearing these stories from other atheists a lot. But it's very common when we come out as an atheist. For the people we come out to, to say "me too," (laughs) (laughs) to say "oh my gosh, I'm so glad you told me that." I don't believe in God either. I was afraid to tell you. I haven't told anybody else. And we see this with families. We see this with friendships. We see this with people we work with. You know, we see it with strangers. You know, there have been times when I've come out as an atheist to the person at the coffee place at the airport. You know, just because I was wearing a button or you know crossing in God We Trust off my money or whatever, (laughs) and and the person was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to meet you. It's it's like I'm one too, and I'm really feeling isolated. And I'm so glad to you know to, to see you and to meet you. So, so that's really something to remember: is yeah. that it's often not as bad as we fear it's going to be, and often it turns out really well. And often it's how it, it's how we find other atheists and other people we can connect with.
0: This might be a good transition. Would you mind if I read a comment from a listener who's who's in a situation that that's maybe covered in your book?
1: Please, absolutely.
0: So, this is from Harry and it was on the website. When a former believer leaves their church, it is extremely traumatic on various levels. I want to sex to, uh, <laughs> I want to suggest to you, and this, you being me, that it may be better for some atheists or agnostics to continue attending a church than to leave. I became an agnostic atheist about five years ago. I'm not completely closed to the possibility of a deist God, but reject that the Bible is a holy book giving us divine, infallible truth. Anyway, I married a Christian woman, and my family and her are all professing church-attending Christians. When I first began to seriously doubt my beliefs, I thought about quitting church, but I decided that the cost was too high. I felt that I was better off keeping it quiet, but going on as that quote-unquote nominal kind of Christian. There are some problems with this approach, though, because invariably you will be asked to participate in church activities or leadership roles where you might feel very uncomfortable. For example, I could never be an elder and teach things I don't agree with, yet I have no problem with just being a deacon and serving people in the community and even doing an occasional prayer. The other issue is with how to raise your children as skeptical and free-thinking, but still be part of a community and part of your religious family. Consider what are the options? Question mark. There is no Unitarian church or other community in our area. Therefore, I don't feel I am hypocritical to stay in our church, despite what I believe. So, of course, I'm not, you know, asking for like a judgment or anything, but I'd be curious if your experiences and your your research has given you any insight you might want to pass along to this listener. If not, it's okay.
1: No, absolutely. I actually have a number of things I would say to that. I mean, the first thing I would say is... You get to make your own cost-benefit analysis. I'm not going to tell you, yes, you absolutely should come out. It's terrible for you to stay in the closet. Your life is going to be miserable if you stay in the closet. Uh, Your life is going to be miserable if you keep going to church and professing a a religion you don't believe in. You get to make that cost-benefit analysis yourself. You get to decide whether the benefits of staying in your community outweigh the harm that's done by, by keeping these secrets. I mean, I would say that this commenter themselves is pointing out a lot of the problems, a lot of the really serious problems with it. It's like, you know, you feel like you're living a lie. uh, You have trouble knowing how to raise your children authentically, uh, you know, knowing how to raise them with your values when you have to keep your values a secret. That's very difficult.
0: Yeah, that would be the deal breaker for me. I I couldn't imagine. I mean, I could imagine if I had to sort of going through the motions maybe, but once it comes to kids, I, I cannot... I could not raise my kids in a church. It's just too dishonest to me personally.
1: Yeah. Or if I raised them in a church, I would at least want to give them my perspective as well. It's like, you know, there are mixed relationships between atheists and believers where the kids go to church, but the atheists, but then they also go to, you know, skeptical events, atheist events, you know, secular events and so on. And the, Atheist parent gets to talk with them about their values and, you know, and not, you know, there's, it's it's a very large, actually, relationships between believers and atheists is a very large topic. There's actually a book about that coming out. That's so
0: funny. I was just going to ask you about that because I talked about that on an earlier episode. Uh sorry, what was the book? I interrupted.
1: Uh the book is coming out this fall, I believe. It's by Dale McGowan, who wrote the Parenting Beyond Belief and Raising Free Thinkers uh books, wrote and edited those books. And it's called In Faith and In Doubt, and it's about relationships between believers and and atheists. And you know, get them on your show when the book comes out. Um but what I would say is that if this person is starting to feel like, okay, this cost benefit analysis is starting to weigh in the direction of, I don't want to live a lie anymore. I don't want to have to keep secret about something that's really important to me. I don't want to have to have inauthentic relationships with the people that I love and care about, just so I can go along and be part of this community. If that's the case, I would recommend, first of all, they should get the book, obviously. And, you know, <laughs> um,
0: well, I recommend to all my listeners, please buy the book. It's great
1: um thank you and by the way it's a print ebook and audio book so it's in all the formats you know kindle nook it's you know audible everywhere so what i would recommend is that he not leap to the conclusion that there are no other atheists in his area that he not leap to the conclusion that uh, that there's no atheist community, you'd be surprised. There are atheist communities at this point in every, pretty much every major city in the United States and in a whole lot of not major cities. Uh, if you're within driving distance of a major city, you have an atheist community near you, and you might have one closer to you than that. You know, If you just go on to meet up and look for atheists within 50 miles of your area, you might be really surprised. And I think that that's an important step. If you decide that you do want to come out as a non-believer, and and just just to start, you know, not necessarily to come out to everybody in your whole community right away, but you know, to tell your your spouse, you know, to tell your best friend, you know, to tell your your kids that you're a non-believer. That tell the people who really matter to you. Uh, the I think it's a very very useful first step uh, to find an atheist community and to put down roots in it. Um, and if you can't do that, if there really is nothing within, you know, 500 miles of you, uh, then find an atheist community online because uh, that can help give you at least some of what people get from, from communities in person. Um, but, and the other thing I would say is, again, you get to make your own cost-benefit analysis. You know, you get to decide what the benefits and what the risks are and which is greater. What I will say again is that most people who have done this say they're glad they did this. Even if it was difficult, even if they had a hard time with their communities and their spouses and their families and so on, they still feel better just because ultimately that burden of secrecy was too much. Uh, but again, that's not. I'm not going to try to pressure you. I'm not going to say you're making the wrong decision. You know your life better than I do.
0: Thank you very much, and and I, I hope that uh, listener that comment was a little bit older because it was we we talked about this uh, topic a little bit earlier in my podcast, but uh, hopefully they're still listening and I'll, I'll try to uh, email them if I can to, uh, to get, that was a great answer. Thank you very much. Um, I, so I was planning to ask you, um, sort of to transition, maybe not strictly related to the book, um, more of a, a personal opinion of yours about relationships between atheists and believers, because it, it factors into the book, but, uh, I just had a discussion about it. Um, with the uh, cognitive dissonance, I, I think. Have you been on their show? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, bottom line, as as is with so many things, it's going to depend on the people. But uh, but it, it is interesting to to hear different people's takes on that. And and for me, I just know that it changes so much fundamentally about your worldview and about your your life. I mean, for me, it, it, it I can't imagine having the most important relationship that I would have, you know, with anyone, having it be with someone who, who believes that, you know, everything's going to turn out okay in the end because we'll all be in a, you know, in a land together after death and everything. It just so fundamentally changes how you look at the world that I, I just don't think I could ever do it. And of course, you, you know, you, you're, you've been married a long time, but, but uh, hypothetically, I, I wonder what your personal take on that is if you don't mind.
1: No, I'm happy to talk about that. I'll talk about that personally, and also I'll talk about that more broadly. Great. I mean, my feeling is very much the same as your feeling is. Uh, I would, I think I would have a very hard time being in a marriage or a serious romantic relationship with somebody who is a religious believer, and partly because, as you say, it's such for- – viewpoint, there's such different worldviews. You know, it's like, you know, believing that this world is all there is, is a really radically different way of thinking that this world is just this tiny little pit stop on the way to eternity. Uh, You know, believing that we make our own sense of meaning in the world is really radically different from thinking that we get our meaning from a, you know, divine creator, and so on. And I would have a very hard time. In fact, it's it's funny, uh, you know, you see polls and studies about It's like how people would be, you know, what percentage of people would not want to be in a relationship with atheists, or what percentage of people would not want their children to be in a relationship with atheists. And a lot of times atheists react to this with, oh, this is such bigotry, this is horrible anti atheist bigotry, and and some of it is. But I feel the same way. I get that angry, you know, at them for not wanting to be involved with an atheist because I wouldn't want to be involved with a believer. And it's not that I think believers are bad people, it's that we have really different values. Now, that being said, that's not universally true. There's a lot of people, both atheists and believers, for whom their atheism or their religious belief is just not that important. You know, it's, it's part of who they are, it's part of how they see the world, but there's other things that are much more important, that are much more important to their personal identities, to their values, what they value in the world, and this is... I had a fairly long conversation with uh, Dale McGowan, again, who wrote this book, uh, In Faith and in Doubt, about relationships between atheists and believers. And, and what he said was that the factor that seems to make it, I and mean, there's a lot of different factors in what makes these relationships work or not work, but he said that the factor that really seems to make a big difference is how important is your atheism or your religion to you. And he said that if for both people in a relationship, and I guess for all people, if it's a poly relationship, but I don't think he talked about that really. So let's pretend that we're just talking about, you know, couples. Um, if both people, their atheism or their religion just isn't that important to them, then usually it works out fine. Or if it doesn't work out fine, there's other things make great problems. If one of them, it's like if it's a really diehard atheist but a believer who doesn't really care that much about belief or a really diehard believer, but an atheist for whom their atheism isn't that important. Then other factors play more into whether or not the relationship is going to be problematic or not. If for both partners, their religion or their atheism is hugely important. If it's a diehard atheism and a diehard religious believer, that's what he said. That's when conflict and difficulty totally goes through the roof. And so Again, it's – I'm with you for me personally, my atheism. Obviously, I'm a professional atheist. I don't believe in God for a living. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's somewhat important to you, I'd say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, but I'll also say that to some extent it's become important to me because it's my job. You know, if I was just – you know, it's like I became an atheist and started coming out as an atheist when I had already started my blog and Greta Christina's blog, in case anybody's looking for it for it. Um, I'm very uncreative about how I titled my blog. <laughs> um you know, for me, you know, because I was, you know, as I was writing this blog and I started writing about my atheism, I started getting connected with the atheist online community, and then I started getting doing public speaking and traveling around and going to conferences and you know, visiting atheist student groups and local groups and all this, it just became my life. And in fact it's become my profession. You know, I'm now a full time writer and public speaker. And overwhelmingly, what I write and speak about is atheism. That might not have turned out that way. If my writing career had taken a different trajectory and I had, you know, focused my writing on something else, maybe my atheism wouldn't be so important to me. It's it's like uh,
0: young adult vampire fiction or –
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, to to give another example, I was a sex writer for decades before I was an atheist writer and I still do a fair amount of writing about sex. And honestly, the main reason I I switched my focus was just that the sex writing market was completely gutted and I wasn't making a living at it. Um, If that hadn't been the case, if I had been able to make a a real full-time living as a sex writer and I hadn't shifted my focus, I don't know if my atheism would be as important to me and therefore – Maybe I would have been able to be involved with with a religious believer. I don't know.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and another uh, since you you have some level of expertise. Um, I actually just recently uh, a friend of mine was was telling me how it, another factor in there that that's harder to talk about generally, of course, that can hardly talk about anything generally. But <laughs> what can be a problem is the is just the sexual guilt involved in religion. I mean, that can really kill the sex lives of of a couple you know if if one or both parties has that sexual guilt i have a friend who practically got divorced because of that it eventually just became too much to to deal with the the intense guilt and 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 just difficulty in opening up and i think that's a real that's a real problem that for some people and it's a real problem with religion
1: it is absolutely it's it's and it's one of the things that I, there's you know i get... Give a very long list of all the reasons things about religion that make yeah. me angry. I did. That's my other book. Why are you Atheist so angry? <laughs> Ninety nine things that piss off the godless is exactly what that book is. But certainly one of them is uh is sexual guilt, sexual repression, ways that You know, girls and women especially, but not just girls and women, you know, boys and men as well, uh, ways that LGBTQ people especially, but not just us, you know, straight people as well, uh, get just hammered with this sense that any kind of sexuality, any kind of sexual feelings, and especially sexual feelings outside this really narrowly prescribed range that God supposedly really cares about (laughs) how you're boffing. And you know that 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 can be very very pervasive, and the flip side of that is: Are you familiar with uh, Daryl Ray's book, uh, Sex and God?
0: I am familiar with it. Haven't read it.
1: Okay, so it's worth it's worth taking a look at. It. It's worth taking a look at the research that he did behind this. He did uh, Daryl Ray and Amanda Brown uh, did this research where they studied. I
0: believe I might be having them on the uh, on the podcast soon. Actually, coincidentally. Excellent
1: excellent. That would be great. So he can, he'll can he tell you more about this than I will. I'll just give you the 25 sure, percent version, uh, which is that they studied thousands of atheists, uh, atheist agnostics, skeptics, you know, any kind of non-believers. Uh, interviewed them about online, you know, did an inter- online uh, survey about their sex lives before and after they left religion, assuming that they had left religion. And if they were long, a lifelong atheists, asking them about that. And what they found was that When people leave religion, their sex lives get better. When they leave religion, they are, get much more free of, you know, sexual guilt, of, you know, sexual shame, sexual anxiety. And the thing that surprised the researchers, and this is, I always love it when research surprises you because that shows you that it's good research, that you're not just confirming your own biases. What surprised them was they were expecting that. Sexual guilt would just sort of dog people throughout their lives. It's sexual, that, that is, you know, if you were raised with a really guilty, traumatized view of sexuality, that, that would just torment you forever. And there's some degree to which that's sometimes true, but what they found was that mostly within, I forget what time period, something like six months to a year, after people had left religion, they were as comfortable and okay with sex as people who'd been atheists their whole lives and it's wow. not completely guilt free obviously you know we have a sexually guilt ridden culture you know anyway you know one thing is saturated with religion even you know th- you know in ways that bombard even those of us who don't believe in it um, but yes absolutely you know there's just a tremendous amount of just really pointless guilt and shame about things that don't do anybody any harm and that bring people a tremendous amount of joy a- and it's one of the things that one of the reasons I care so much about this is that I want people to be able to let go of that. And it can create problems in a, back to the, what we were talking about before uh, relationships between believers and non believers, where if the believer has these huge sexual hangups and the non believer is saying, There's no reason for that. Your God doesn't care whether you like to do whatever sexual thing because yeah also
0: i really care about
1: and i really care i'm here and you made this commitment to me and you know you're not obligated to do what i want you to do sexually but that might be fun you might enjoy it um and so so yeah it's it's i think that that does create problems yeah
0: that's really encouraging to hear though i i I didn't know that and and like you said it, it must have shocked the researchers um that's really encouraging. Hopefully if if there's anyone out there who who is experiencing guilt ho- hopefully that's an encouraging sign that it can uh, it can pass with time.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So that's the end of part one of the interview with Greta Christina. I'd encourage you to Google her and find her blog. And from there, I'm sure you can find her Twitter. And, uh, of course, you can find her book and all the links to buy it in all the different forms. And I highly recommend it. So part two, we get into a lot of different topics that uh, aren't to do with her book. And that's already available for patrons on patreon.com slash atheist. And I've finished a debate already, the first debate, but I don't think it's going to fit in this week. I think there's too much content already. So what I might do is release that early to patrons. They can hear the entire debate and, uh, everyone else who's not a patron, they're probably going to have to wait till next week. Um, because I just have too much content for this week, which is a good thing, right? So, uh, As usual, I just want to say I'm not trying to guilt anyone into Patreon. I'm just trying to provide enough bonus content so that maybe you'll want to make the small contribution that if enough people do it and it'll add up, I can uh, put more time into the podcast. So that's uh, guilt-free, not trying to guilt anyone. So don't accuse me of it. Uh, But I hope you'll check it out. Okay. I uh, look forward to seeing you guys next episode, and it's it's a good one. There's a lot of good stuff. So I'll see you then. (laughs)